Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 can be found on page 954 in the Black Pew Bibles. And if you're not used to using a Bible, when I use a chapter number, those are the large bold print numbers, and then the verse numbers are these little numbers by it. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, and then little verse number 13 down to 17. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that home with you as our gift for you to continue to reflect on what you've heard today from the scripture readings and now this message from 1 Peter. Last week I tried to give you the image of a horse, riding a horse, to stay on top of the horse and not fall off. You need some basic balance. And 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 is the text we looked at last week that I argued is a thesis statement that balances out two basic principles. Christians are not of this world. That's the balance we must keep on the one side. On the other side, we are sent into the world for the sake of the glory of God and the lost of the Gentile nations and that our actions would commend our proclamation of the good news. The horse image. I'm going to switch things up. I'm going to make the same point, but I'm going to give you a different image. It's one that came from our text. Some of the translations even use the word. ESV doesn't. But it's the word sojourner on verse 11 is sometimes translated alien, as in foreigner. So let's talk about aliens. In his recent published book, Patrick Schreiner, professor of Midwestern Baptist, opens his book with this analogy. Imagine aliens from another planet come to Earth. They look a lot like humans. They talk like humans, and they tell us that they are ushering in a new world era that will change the way earthlings live forever. They say that this era is going to bring good and justice. They have no intent to harm anyone. They do admit that they have special powers, but these powers are only meant to help with communicating promoting justice, equality, and fairness for all people on earth. In fact, they have been sent to earth on a mission, representing their leader and the planet they came from. In the meantime, until they come and join the rest, this delegation of those that were sent, they would make it clear that they are here on earth to love all people and to a certain degree look like them, dress like them, eat their foods, act like them. If this fictitious scenario happened, could you imagine that people on earth would be nervous, suspicious, or feel threatened by the alien presence? You could imagine why they might feel confused or concerned. And so then some television news anchor decides, I'm going to interview one of these aliens. And as they get the opportunity to be on live television, they explain that they do not mean to overthrow 
the government or the leaders of this world. Their aim is to support current government leaders and submit to their authority. But when the news anchor asks, when the rest of your people come and your leader arrives on earth, what will happen then? Will you continue to submit and support or will you overthrow? At this moment, the interview is tense, right? The alien delegate responds and says, when that happens, all institutions of the world and government leaders, they just won't be needed. Yes, special powers, special technology, tools will come from another place and accomplish all that the government leaders and institutions were trying to accomplish in the first place. And then this alien doubles down and says, I promise though, we're only here to serve and support the well-being of all earthlings until our leader arrives. Again, you could understand that that clarification of purpose and identity would make people feel threatened, but also wonder. They sound so good and genuine and want to help and serve and submit. There's tension with this image. Powerful, but subordinate. Similar, but different. Brothers and sisters, these are the tensions of 1 Peter. Christians are alien delegates of a heavenly kingdom. We look like, to a certain degree, all other humans, because we are. But at the same time, we are distinct and holy and otherworldly. We form colonies within the earthly colonies and kingdoms. And we hope and aim that these little colonies are outposts of what will one day be the final earthly reality when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns. Just think about Jesus himself. He called the government officials and rulers tyrants, foxes. These weren't nice words. But he also taught his followers to pay their taxes and submit to those same leaders. Jesus and Paul, one of the founders of the Christian faith, were brought before Roman government and they were condemned, but they were innocent. Condemned? Innocent. All throughout the scriptures, in various places, Christians are commanded to submit and obey government rulers. But they are told to give supreme allegiance to Jesus Christ and understand, especially as Revelation 13 makes clear, these governing authorities are powered by none other than Satan himself. There are tensions in the Bible when we start talking about politics. And Peter helps us out. We need his help. Would you follow along as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 to 17? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, 
You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, it will endure forever. Amen? Embassy Church, you are a heavenly people sent to do heaven's politics, but by heaven's power. You are a heavenly people sent to do heavenly politics, but make sure you do it by heaven's power. That's our big idea, and I want to unpack each of them. Heaven's people do in heavenly politics by heaven's power. If we're going to be a church faithful to Scripture, we need the Bible's clarity and definitions, terms, concepts for people, for politics, and for power. And I think our passage gives us all three of them in stunning fashion. So let's work through them one at a time and realize that all we're doing in this message is applying what we heard in last week's message. The idea that you are not of this world. You are a heavenly people. But you have been sent into this world for the glory of God, to do good works, for the sake of the people in that world. That's the horse. So now imagine the aliens. Instead of side-to-side balance, I need you to think vertical. You are from another planet. You're from another realm. You are aliens. Spiritual aliens. And you have been sent by God into this world. And yes, you are superior to the people of this world. Not because of your abilities in and of yourself. But because of the one who sent you. His power. His identification with you makes you above everybody in this world. But notice that that God who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light has sent you into the world to proclaim his glories and make you low. You could easily just say, I'm a heavenly people. But not do heaven's politics by heaven's power and think you're better than everybody else. Heaven's people come below earthly people. We submit. Our posture is not above looking down because of being heaven's people, but coming underneath. And that's what we've got to work out today. That's the big idea. That's where this message is going. If you follow along in scripture with me, you'll see what I'm saying. Let's start first with heaven's people. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The specific words Peter used are, and a literal rendering would be this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human creature. Every created human. The ESV has translated it this way because they believe that's what the phrase refers to. 
I don't disagree with them because if you keep reading, whether it be to the Emperor Supreme, it sounds like we're talking about governing institutions and authorities. However, I think that if we take the actual words Peter wrote down and notice what he's doing in this section, we will see an even more profound and wider, deeper point about people, humans. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every created human, whether it is to be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by them to punish evil and to praise those who do good. For this is God's will, that by doing so, that you are a good citizen, you will put to silence ignorant and foolish people. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then notice the way the passage ends, with nice little sandwich pieces of bread. The beginning, subject yourself to every created human. That's piece of bread number one. Piece of bread number two, honor everyone, every human. Do you see how those two ideas parallel each other? And in fact, the little technical grammar detail is that the honor word is written in a tense different from all the remaining verbs. So honor everyone is written in a way distinct from love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And it's puzzled translators like, why? Why did he do that? And the answer is because it matches the first command, subject or submit. And that's why I think they're linked. That's why I think that the two pieces of bread on a sandwich and everything in between is to help you understand what he's saying. It's, it's creating the borders around this paragraph. All that to say, the key first point that dominates verse 13 all the way through chapter 3 is submit or subject yourself to every human on the earth. Heavenly people are not stuck-up people. Heavenly people know themselves to be made in the image of God, and they know that every other creature is made in the image of God, regardless of how wealthy someone is, how educated they are, what ethnicity they come from, what their skin color is. That's what heavenly people are like. They don't look down on people around them and then fight and argue or find their sense of self-worth or identity because they feel like they're better than. They know themselves to be equal with every creature on the earth and they're commanded by their master, honor every single human. Heavenly people should know what all people are like. In the eyes of God, dignified and valued, worthy, not trash, loved, cared for. He has his eye and his affection on people. The God who would redeem a people from slavery live as people who are free, he says in verse 16. Free from what? Free from what he described in chapter 1. He assumes you've already read chapter 1, by the way. We're in chapter 2. And he says, I have purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ a people. You've been bought out of slavery. In chapter 2, verse 9, he references how you are his treasured possession, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. And he's citing Exodus chapter 19, and then he quotes Hosea chapter 2 about how 
God would redeem his bride even though she was an adulteress. Heavenly people know who they are. Do you? Do you know who you are? One of the great benefits of studying 1 Peter is knowing who you are. And even more importantly, knowing who we are. Because it's not just you as an individual, it's us collectively. We are a heavenly people who have been called out, who have been chosen, who have been elected, who have been loved by this great loving God. And therefore, we must apply this into our lives by realizing every single person in this room is a heavenly person because their personhood is stamped with God's image. Even if you're not a Christian here today, welcome. We look at you as equal with us in your status before God. A heavenly person, you reflect the glory and goodness of the general character of God. That's the first page of the Bible. And sadly, many Christians in this room and outside fail at this fundamental point. I admit, many of us, we struggle with valuing one another on the basis of what God has said, but rather we have been caught up and we have been so quickly to judge and compare one another by the clothes we're wearing or what car we drove into church today. And brothers and sisters, we should know better. We should repent of these sins and see them as foundational principles for knowing who we are as humans, but even more so as called out humans, those who have been specifically and uniquely purchased by God. How, how could we possibly look down with our noses on other people? It's not because we're chosen. May that be stuck in our head. It is, it's not a badge to puff our chests out. It's a posture of utter humility, of bowing down, of regularly having sore knees because we are so willing to get down and wash our fellow humans' feet, whether Christian or non-Christian. Are you understanding the point here? Before you get anything with First Peter, you must get who you are. You must get the reality that you are heaven's people. Second, we have a job to do. Sent into this world for a purpose, for politics. Now, I want to use that word politics not just because it starts with a P. I want to use that word because we are an embassy. That's the name of our church, but that is the reality of who we are. We are delegates of a kingdom. In fact, the whole language of image of God is royal language. It's kingdom language. It's political language. But before any of you go too much further into this sermon and think, I don't like this church because they're too political, let me clarify my term. By politics, I simply mean the activities associated with organizing or governing people. That's actually just what the word means. And I think if we are going to be faithful in our calling, we need to not be careful about being too political. We need to be better in our politics, clearer, sharper with our terms, our words, and our understanding of what kind of politics we're doing. For example, politics 
are often put in these two ways. One, private politics. That's just between you and other people. Or private religion. And we're talking about the Christian religion here, by the way. Your religion is not private. That undermines everything we just said last week. You have been sent into the world and you should live in such a way where your good deeds are obviously seen by the world around you. It's public. Your individual desires of your flesh, your sinful flesh, must be fought with every single day for the sake of your public witness to the world. That was last week's sermon. Understand that when we're talking about politics, it is not a private matter. The idea of being governed by rules, by scripture, by the community of Embassy Church, our covenant, our statement of faith, all of these things are about politics, heavenly politics. So do not make the mistake of thinking that politics and religion are private matters and they don't have anything to do with your next door neighbor or your coworker or your aunt or uncle. They do. They so deeply do. They are a public reality that govern our public activity. And embassy, newsflash, your public activity is a reflection of Jesus Christ to the world and a reflection of this church. And if you think that your public witness doesn't have any effect on Christ or his church or about your witness, You need to revise your understanding of politics and membership and church life. The other mistake we make is not about privatizing our politics, but making them partisan, making them too centered around the discussions of are you a Democrat or Republican? So when I use the word politics, I do not mean Partisan politics. These are two grave dangers that we can fall into as a church. We have been heavenly people sent to do a heavenly project, a political one, where we represent a king. Jesus is king is a political message. It is a message that should threaten the governors and rulers of this world because they will held, be held to account when he returns. So notice our text teaches us, be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution. For the Lord's sake, because of Jesus Christ, because of God, we should subject ourselves to human institutions. Whether that's the emperor or king, whether it's a governor sent by that king to do punishing of those who do evil or praise those who do good. Notice, this is the will of God. You have a mission, and your mission is to submit yourself to governing authorities because the way you live your life in the world matters to God. It's actually God's will that you accomplish his purposes. And his specific example here is that it's the will of God that you would do good. Your good deeds, your public witness is what we're talking about. So we're not talking about how you vote at the next election cycle. That's not what we're talking about, about politics. We're talking about the politics of being a good citizen of heaven first. Then, literally, then, the United States. You and all, we live here in the United States. We should be faithful citizens. We should submit to the police. We should submit to our teachers if we're a student at a school. We should submit to our boss at our workplace. 
This is the idea. He's saying you should submit actually to every human to a certain degree. Submission is not a dirty, ugly, nasty word. It's the calling of Christians. It's beautiful, actually. Have you seen somebody who has great wealth bow their knee down and serve somebody that the world would say is inferior to them? How beautiful is that? Have you ever seen someone that's strong and mighty and big and they use their strength for the sake of someone who's weak? How beautiful is that? Have you ever seen someone that's wise and and intellectual and educated use their education for the sake of bending down low to serve someone else that just doesn't understand or know? To come alongside them and protect them. How beautiful is that? Do you see the kind of politics that Christians have been sent into this world to do? A kind of good deed that when the world sees it, they see the beauty of the one that they were made in that image, being renewed and refined and reflected so that then the world would be silenced. The foolish people of this world that would want to call out and say, these Christians, there's something wrong with them. They don't do everything we do. They don't party at our parties, as chapter 4 says. They don't bow down to the emperor in complete, total submission like the rest of the Roman government. Because there's a line drawn. When you're a heavenly people, you know that your total allegiance is to God Almighty and that you only submit to the emperor as supreme because he told you to. But you don't bow down and worship to him. In fact, I think the reason Peter chose these words and then said the emperor is because the emperor was a cult. It was a religion. The emperor called himself the savior of the world, the son of God. I'm not making this up. This is written on coins. You know how in our money it says, in God we trust? Well, imagine you're using money in the ancient first century world, and it would say, Caesar, Augustus, whoever the Caesar was at the time, he would have thought himself as equal with the gods of the heavens. And I think that what Peter is reminding all of his hearers is that emperor is no god. Subject yourselves to human creatures made in God's image. Honor them, even the emperor, even the one who's got a big head and thinks he's better than everyone. He thinks he's God. Submit yourself to him. And I know many of us in this room understand that Peter himself even though he doesn't go into the details here. But by virtue of everything he's saying, we should know that, yeah, there's a line drawn. There's a line drawn between submitting yourself to governing authorities and then eventually knowing they're asking you to do something that would directly disobey Jesus Christ. It was Peter himself in Acts chapter 4, if you read the story, where he was told and commanded, don't ever preach the gospel ever again. And he responded right back and said, I must obey God and not man. So brothers and sisters, it is a very, very difficult thing to do. Three years past the 2020 pandemic, how well did we do at submitting ourselves to the government and knowing where's that line to draw of, are they telling us to do something that's directly disobeying God? Or are they just telling us to do something we don't like? Oh, we struggle with this. But our posture should often be one that's ready to submit ourselves Not because of how great and awesome and wonderful and wise the Roman emperor is or the president of the United States or the Supreme Court justices or the mayor of Chicago, etc. Remember, 
Peter's situation is far, far worse than yours and mine. It is very likely that the very emperor he's telling them to honor and submit themselves to could be the one that put Peter to death. Let it sink in that you and I regularly look more like this world rather than heavenly people precisely because we only want to submit when it's convenient or we like it. But the posture of Christians is the posture of Jesus. He bows, not in full allegiance, but in humble service. This is the spirit of our passage and our Lord. And it's the power that I'm hoping you see coming as we move on to this third point. Heavenly people are sent in to do heaven's politics, but remember, it's by a heavenly power. And that power is like something the world has never seen before. Our text says this in verse 15 and 16, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Power principle number one. God's will is that your good deeds would powerfully subvert the kingdoms of this world. Your good deeds, not your marches around the Roman emperor, not your revolt, not your fighting, not your force, not your sword. Peter, put your sword away, Jesus said. That's not what my kingdom's like. We don't win by force. We win by love, by good deeds, by honoring our fellow human in our citizenship. There is a power of doing good, especially when you're around ignorant and foolish people and shaming them with your not repaying evil for evil, but loving them and praying for those who persecute you. Second power principle. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as doulos, servants. It's translated in the ESV. The word most often is literally referring to slaves. What a paradox. Do you see the power on display in verse 16? You're free. You have been freed from the powers of this world. You have been set free from sin's slavery. You've been set free from thinking that all of your hope needs to be in this world and in the money of this world and in the powers of this world. You're free. You're a heavenly people. You have a different mission. What, what liberating freedom. Oh, but don't use that freedom as some sort of smokescreen cover-up excuse to say, well, then I'm going to do whatever I want. Because I'm a Christian now, I'm going to not obey my mayor, governor. More often than not, there's a lot of instances where you should pay your taxes and submit to the police they're probably not asking you to do something that directly, command, directly contradicts the commands of Jesus or the scriptures. And therefore, the image here is using our freedom, not for evil, but again for good, and living as servants, as slaves of God. Do you see the power 
at play by one who uses their freedom, their purchased status as citizens of a heavenly kingdom and saying, as a slave of God, I'm going to freely give of myself, my time, my money. I'm not, I'm not begrudgingly doing that. How many of you love this Bible passage? You're like, this is my favorite. I got coffee cups with this Bible passage. Or how many of us are like, I don't like this Bible passage. If I do it, I do it with a begrudging heart. A heart that's kind of like, yeah, got to do that. Did you hear what David Marus read? Jeremiah 29? Exiles seek the welfare of the people. Seek their welfare. Care about what's going on in the world around you. There's a certain degree and responsibility where us regularly caring for those around us, not just in this church, but outside of the church. It should just be a normal way that Christians live and interact with one another. So number one, power principle. Realize that the way that we live in this world is to do good deeds in a public fashion that silences the ignorance of foolish people. Number two, verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants, slaves of God, willingly choosing to be slaves. We signed up for this. We wanted this. You voluntarily joined this church if you're a member of this church. You decided, I want to be baptized. I want to give my full allegiance to Jesus Christ. I did not push anybody into a baptismal tank. You've got to do it. It's not what we do. There's no spiritual coercion by force or by pressure. Here's the gospel. The God of the Bible is the ultimate king and universe of all creation. And he made you in his image, but we've rebelled against him. Insurrection is our charge. We have not been faithful citizens of God's heavenly kingdom on this earth. And he would be right to punish evil. But instead, he punished his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. He took our place. He stooped lower than low. He didn't just become a human. He was a God in the heavens, and then he became a human. But he did even more than that. He became a slave. He gave us the example to follow. But he's so much more than an example. He is a substitute who died in our place and gave us the freedom that we now have. If you would put your hope and your trust and your faith in this God, in Jesus Christ, then you too could have a new heart through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to willingly lay down your life like Jesus did, whether it be to governing officials or to the people that are literally sitting next to you in this room. Power principle number three, last and finally. There's a new kind of power, and it's found in the church. We do our politics as outposts of heaven together. Notice that this whole passage has this little sandwich. I mentioned verse 13, be subject to every human creature and then honor everyone. There's that sandwich. But then the whole sandwich becomes a little mini sandwich, a little slider, if you would say, in verse 17. Honor everyone. And then how does it end? Same exact word, honor the emperor. And then right in the middle, here is your spiritual life and vitality. Here is where power will really take off when you and I love the brotherhood and we fear God. 
as we commit ourselves to our Christian worship, as we commit ourselves to the Christian disciplines of community and covenant membership, loving one another, that's the real meat. When you and I follow in the footsteps of Jesus as we're about to be commanded in the very next paragraph that Peter says. But the only way to do that is to be in a family, a brotherhood, a covenant, meaningful relationship with other brothers and sisters. I started this message giving you a little illustration from Patrick Schreiner's new book. It's entitled Political Gospel. And he has a helpful little section I want to read for you to close out this message to further illustrate the point of the beauty and the power of how heavenly people sent into this world to do heaven's politics by heaven's power. Think about the significance of church as you listen. Schreiner writes, It is so important for us to be a part of a local church and around other Christians, reminding us of our true loyalty and the kingdom that is to come. Remember that whenever a preacher preaches a sermon, he is making a political speech, reminding you, Jesus Christ is your king right now. Whenever you receive the Lord's Supper, you are re-pledging your allegiance to the kingdom of Christ. And whenever you share the gospel of Christ with a, a neighbor, a friend, or a family member, you are helping advance the Christ campaign among all the nations. For Christians, political life begins in the church. The local church is a political rallying point for all of God's people. Yes, we occupy different stations in life, but don't misunderstand. We're all politicians. Stay-at-home moms, you may wonder, what does this whole political gospel idea have to do with me? When you train your kids to love the heavenly king, you are a specialist of a kind of these new citizens of heaven. Businessmen or women, you are ambassadors for the new regime, and you are behind enemy lines. Artists or creatives, you are providing symbols and images for the new kingdom. Musicians, you should be crafting songs that form our desires and our imaginations for the heavenly city. Teachers and students, you should train for a life that influences under the reign of our sovereign Lord. The church conquers and subverts the state from below. We do not do this from above. Aliens from another world who come down and conquer from below. Do you understand that this is what Jesus did? That to be a Christian is just to be a follower of Jesus, following his example on the basis of his gift of salvation, his blood shed for us. Let's re-pledge ourselves to this calling and commitment by taking the Lord's Supper. But first, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to bow in the name of Jesus Christ and we want to ask for your blessing on us. We want to ask that in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Embassy Church would be distinct and holy heavenly people set apart by our love for one another. Lord, we want to thank you for the love that you have shown us in sending Jesus into this world the creator becoming a creature, the infinite God of the universe becoming finite in human flesh 
and becoming a baby. We thank you for the image of those who are from above, those who are heavenly citizens, those who have access to the greatest power in the universe, don't come toppling down on this earth, but come bended knee, washing feet, caring for those around us. Lord, I want to especially pray for our children's ministry and ask that as we as a young church with lots of kids around, we would not see them as inferior to us, but as humans made in God's image. I want to pray that parents would see that their calling is not insignificant. I pray that even as they're gathering in the nursery or in the kids' class, that the teachers and volunteers that are involved would see that their, their work is very, very important. This politics is way more important than what's happening in Washington, D.C. Oh, Lord, we need reordered in our mindset and our desire. We need to be biblical and godly. And we ask that you would give us this grace for your good, for your glory, and for the lost people around us to see our good deeds and silence their foolish complaints of Christians by being overwhelmed by our generosity and our faithfulness and our submission. We pray, God, you give us great wisdom. There are many issues that we cannot address in this fashion, and we need your help to know how to respond and what to do. And we pray that you would give us grace in Jesus' name. Amen.